Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 26 and 27, um, but we'll, we'll explore the rest of Acts chapter 8 before the second time. I'll just read the first 26 and 27 of Acts chapter 8. I feel like a black preacher giving life to the black leaders and all black riding around in my black Kia. Empower the bros, living the gold, the black needers, giving them black Jesus. I take them to black Egypt where black people founded the gold. It was right in the heart of their soul. Well, matter of fact, black is where all people are born. The black woman is the mother of all. If you ain't living like a king, why get the queen involved? Me and mine in the chariot, destined for the stars. So high up, I think I seen God. Nah, that's just me and my all black teeth. Surrounded by black angels, that's my black team. You know that boy, stay woke, tell them black dreams. After the bag turned his black green, stay on these knees and stay in these black jeans. You see these power and these black prayers. Ask my great grandmama, turn a black slave into Obama, straight out of Wakanda. God is my judge, your honor. Progressively progressing, no pause, all commas. Pay my tithes, no dollars. Do it for the folk with no money, all problems. Turn my black up just to tell them God's got them. Shouting at the top because we struggled at the bottom. Black Messiah, magnify him. Gotta lift his name higher. Black excellence. Acts chapter 8, you there yet? I'm just killing some time. All right. Verse 26, I'm reading from the New International Version. But as long as you have a Bible, you should be all right. When you have it, could you please say Amen. Verse 26 says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an African man, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandika, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Bible says Philip started out, ran into a black man he was the treasurer of the empire of the Ethiopians. and He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Can you help me preach this turn to somebody around you and tell them, do it for the culture, do it for the culture, do it for the culture. And that was dry, y'all. Come on now. <laughs> turn to somebody around you, smile at them like a good Christian and say, do it for the culture. You ever heard some millennial, some college student, some teenager say, do it for the culture? Y'all know what that means? Somebody said, I don't know what that means. It, it, it's really an encouragement for somebody who was contemplating on something they had been thinking about doing. And they say, well, if you don't do it for any other reason, do it for the culture for the betterment of the culture. Give something that the culture can vibe to. Give something to the culture that they can engage with. Do it for the culture. So if you've been thinking about starting that business, don't do it for anything else, do it for the culture. You've been waiting and praying about launching that website, do it for the culture. If you've been praying about launching out and doing something that you are uncomfortable doing, some young person will tell you, just do it for the culture for the betterment of the culture. In fact, I believe that that's what Jesus told the disciples before he ascended into heaven in Matthew chapter 28, what we call it the Great Commission. The Bible told, Jesus says to his disciples, to go to, the, go to all the nations and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, to go and preach and teach, make disciples 
not just in Jerusalem, not in just Judea, not in just Samaria, but all over the known world. He says, go out into the nations, go out into the culture and preach the message of Jesus Christ. Go out into the culture and teach the word of God. Go out into the culture and make disciples. And so here are the disciples they're preaching for the culture. They're teaching for the culture. They're baptizing for the culture. Jesus wanted them to move beyond the Jewish culture into the culture of the world because Jesus had a message that he was trying to unify the world. He wanted the disciples to understand that the Jewish culture didn't have the rights to Christianity, that the Jewish culture, they weren't the only ones with the right of the gospel. So he says, I want you to go beyond the Jewish culture, beyond what you know, beyond what is familiar, beyond what is similar. I want you to take this gospel, bring it to the culture, and unify the world in Jesus' name. And this is important for us to know, especially living in America, where we've taken Christianity and used it as something that is political instead of something that is communal. So we take Christianity to discriminate. We take Christianity to segregate. We take Christianity to look down and use our privilege instead of something that unifies. We use it as something that divides. We live in a country where we take Christianity as something as political and not something that is communal. And that's not what the brand of Jesus was trying to push. That wasn't the brand of Jesus in, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Jesus wanted us to use the gospel not to discriminate and divide, but to bring together. But we live in America that pushes another brand of Jesus, that pushes another brand of the gospel, that pushes another brand of Christianity. Think about it. It was Christians who stole the land, then stole black bodies to build a country in the name of Jesus. Think about it. It was Christians that that perpetuated slavery and segregation with a Bible in one hand and a whip in another hand. It, 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 was, it was Christians that, that after we had a, our first black president wanted to vote in our first president that is obsessed with Twitter in the name of Jesus. Because we live in a culture, in a country that takes Christianity and uses it to divide. But Jesus wanted to let us know that the true brand of Christianity is beyond class, it's beyond culture, it's beyond color, it's beyond creed, it's beyond your political stance that Jesus wants to bring the world together. He says, do it for the culture. But because we live in a country that takes Christianity and uses it to divide, black folks, we had to do our own thing. Pastor already told us that the black church, like any other black organization and institution was started, out of rejection. That's why we got these sororities and fraternities. They've, they were rejected by the white sororities and fraternities, so they went to go start their own thing. Like the black church, where we were rejected from the white church, we said, we're not just gonna cry because y'all rejected us, we're gonna go and do our own thing. And now, I hear folk talking about, we don't need the black church no more. Segregation is over, we don't need the black church. Racism is over, we don't need the black church. No. Well, before Kanye went a little crazy, he did say something good. He said that racism's still alive, they just be concealing it. He, that, that racism is still alive, segregation is still alive, the black church is still needed. But now, we've opened the doors of our churches 
that white churches have opened the doors to African-Americans and African-Americans have opened the doors to white people and people of all colors and cultures. But because folk think that the black church is not needed, we hear stuff like social justice preaching is heresy. And so now in many cases, we see the decline of the black church. And in some cases, we see a trend of what they're calling multicultural churches. Multicultural churches. Now, what they're saying is, is that we have representation of all races in our churches. Now, I can get with multi-ethnic churches. I, mean, I think that's more of the correct title instead of multicultural. Pastor Johnson said it, it ain't multi-ethnic, it's multicultural because when you look at the congregation, the congregation is filled with black folks, white folks, people of all colors. But then when you look at the leadership, only one culture is represented. When you see the worship style, only one culture is represented. When you see the style of music and preaching and teaching, only one culture is represented. It ain't multicultural. It is multi-ethnic. And so, black folks, again, when we move into the majority culture churches, we once again have to suppress our culture in an attempt to be adopted, in an attempt to be accepted in the dominant culture. I know I want to go get you know, amens in the introduction. It's cool because it's not just happening in the church. Dr. Charlie Date says it's also happening in the academy, where now our fresh new black scholars and black theologians are now being accepted into schools that, that our ancestors only dreamed about being accepted in. Our black theologians and scholars are being accepted into these Ivy League schools that were once discriminated against black preaching and black scholars and theologians. And so now our black scholars are going into these white schools only to see it's only a handful of black students, rarely any black teachers. You ain't gonna see no black president. And not only that, um, the content that they're learning in class is whitewashed. That black scholars, when they go into Ivy League schools, they're not going to learn anything about the African Christian fathers. They're not going to learn about the scholars like James Cone and black, and black liberation theology. They're not going to be exposed to black preachers like C.L. Franklin. Because we got Christian institutions that are practicing division and segregation in the name of Jesus. Not just in the church, not just in the academy, but Kirk Franklin said it's happening in the music too. Kirk Franklin received the Dove Awards in 2016 and 2019. And in his acceptance speech, he tries to call out police brutality and, and racial injustice only for TBN and the Dove Awards to edit out that part in his speech. And so Kirk Franklin calls a boycott for the Dove Awards and for TBN because they edited out the part about him calling out police brutality and racial injustice. Here we have another example of white institutions in the name of Jesus suppressing black voices because there's a brand of Christianity that is pushing segregation and division and not unity. Can I tell y'all a quick story? So I was on Instagram one day, right? And uh, I got this, uh, this inbox from a Christian clothing brand and they wanted to partner up with me they wanted to use they wanted me to use my page to help push their product and uh and so they said well you know my wife will tell you I ain't really big on clothes like that but they was giving out some good discounts so I said all right y'all gonna give me a discount 
I'll think about purchasing some of y'all clothes. So before I replied, I went on their page and I looked at some of the clothes that they were making, some great pieces, but they had a couple shirts and hoodies and sweatshirts with white Jesus on it. And Emil, you know, I got my African gear on today, so I, I wouldn't dare walk around the city of Indianapolis with a shirt with white Jesus on it. Because, I, I mean, I know who I preach for. I know my demographic. I know my target audience. I know that I have a message that can bring all people, but my, really my target, I know I'm preaching in a majority black church, majority black people. I can't be walking around with white Jesus on my shirt. And so I had to tell him, I said, I, I appreciate, I appreciate uh, your acknowledgement of how you think that my page is influential trying to push your brand, but unfortunately, I can't rock with y'all. Y'all got white Jesus on y'all shirts. And then he replied, he, and, and I told him why, because I ministered to a majority black church, majority black people. And he said, oh, well, I understand, but I want you to know that this is a black-owned business. I had to read it again. I said, wait, wait, wait. Wait, you're a black-owned business making white Jesus merch? And he said, yeah, because we, we, we're not just ministering to one group of people. We want to unify everybody. And I said, wait, first of all, that's culturally out of touch because black folks is the only group of people that, that have an image of a God that don't look like them. White folks got an image of a God that look like them. Latinos have an image of a God that look like them. Asians have a God that looks like them. Black folks are only one. I said, you're culturally out of touch. And then I told him, not only are you culturally out of touch, it's historically and biblically inaccurate. The Bible tells us, gives us a glimpse of what Jesus looked like. Hair was like wool, feet was like bronze. If that ain't enough, scientists have already showed us images of the true Jesus. The question I have for him is, why do you think that white Jesus is the only one that can unify us? I can see if Jesus was historically white. I can see if the Bible points out that he was white, but you're trying to unify folk off of a lie. Why don't we give the right Jesus an opportunity to try to unify? We've already given white Jesus 400 years, and all he's done is discriminate and put us in slavery and segregation. Why don't we give the right Jesus a try? It was white Jesus that kicked us out of our churches, that kicked us out of their churches, but it's the right Jesus that said, and I, if I be lifted up, I won't draw just black folks under me. I just won't draw white folks under me. I'll draw all people under me. It was white Jesus that tried to divide us, but it's the right Jesus that said, I pray that there might be one. It's the white Jesus that discriminate us, but it's the right Jesus that said that Jesus gives us a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. And how many of you know that once we give the right Jesus to the culture, that's when our families will get better. That's when our schools will get better. That's when our churches will get better. That's when our communities will get better. We need the right Jesus. And so the right Jesus says, do it for the culture. He said, I want you to preach a message. I want you to give a, the gospel in a way that unifies. He says, just don't, just don't stick with the Jewish people. Just don't stick in Jerusalem. Just don't stick in Judea. Just don't go to Samaria. But he says, go to all over the world. And so once Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples, they were on it, y'all. The first few chapters of Acts, they was on it. 
Matter of fact, Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that there were so many Jews all across the world, not just from Jerusalem, but all over the world, that received the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Peter preached his first sermon, 3,000 souls came and gave their life to Christ. And once these disciples, once the, the early believers got a hold of Jesus, got a hold of the Holy Spirit, they began then to go out into Jerusalem and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem was they got comfortable. They got comfortable in their local environment. They got comfortable in their local context. And so watch what verse 1 of Acts chapter 8 says, that persecution intensified. That, that the persecution of the early church went to a whole nother level. That these Christians are now going through pain. These Christians, their loved ones are being killed. These Christians are going through persecution and pain. But in the midst of the persecution, these, the state-sanctioned the state persecution, the Bible says that the believers scattered from Jerusalem, scattered from Judea. They went into Samaria. They went into the uttermost parts of the world. And the only reason why they did that was because God allowed some pain to come into their life. And when God allowed the pain to enter into their life, that is when the pain pushed them into their purpose. That pain has a way of pushing us into the will that God has for our life. That pain has a way of not just pushing us into our purpose, but strengthening our weakness. And God has a way of using persecution to push us into our purpose. Matter of fact, the only reason why you came to church today is because you're going through some pain right now. The only reason why you were involved in ministry is because you was going through. The only reason why you begin to sing and preach and teach was because of the persecution that you were experiencing. Because God says, I can't get the best out of you in your comfort zone. God has a way of pushing us outside of our comfort zone to make us uncomfortable, only to get his purpose revealed in our life. And every now and again, God would allow some pain to set in, not to hurt you, but to push you to your purpose. God God would allow some issues to set in, not to harm you, but to develop you so he could take you to your destiny. And that's what the disciples are going through. They're dealing with persecution. Now they're pursuing their purpose, and not just the purpose, but, but now their witness has gotten stronger. Because here are disciples who are talking about how good God is in bad times. The, the, the empire is now after them, killing their loved ones, destroying their families, throwing them in prison. But then they're going around talking about how good God is. They still talking about how great Jesus is. They still telling people about the mercy, the grace, and the love of God. That's how you know you're growing as a Christian. That's how you know your witness is strong. Because when it comes to witnessing about our faith, it's not just one-on-one -on -one conversations that we have with people. It's also our disposition how we carry ourselves, how we behave, not just in good times, but in bad times. Because your, your non-believing family, friends, and coworkers, they, they see people who ain't even saved give thanks to God when they receive awards. They, they see people who ain't even saved give God glory when things are going good. But a true believer, one who has a strong faith and witness, understands that I can still Reflect the goodness of God in my life even when things ain't going my way. Because that's the strength of a believer. That's the strength of a witness.
that folk are trying to see how you're going to handle the issues that you're going through. And matter of fact, that creates an opportunity for witness because when folk know that you can go, that you're going through a divorce but still got a smile on your face, that you are still tithing even after you lost your job, that you're going to church even with all the hell that you're facing, that you're giving God a hallelujah after your loved one has passed away and folk going to be like, how can you still smile when you're going through all that pain, then you can let them know that if God be for you, he's more than the world against you. Then you can let them know that he that is within you is greater than he that is within the world. And we still serve a good God, even in bad times. And that's what the disciples were able to do. Spread the good news of Jesus, even in the midst of persecution. And Jesus says, I want you to do it for the culture. There's a message that I want you to bring to the culture. There's a word that I want you to bring to the culture. And, 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 and that same message, the culture in the first century, it's the same message that we need to hear today. Well, well, well what is the message? Well, well, Jesus wants us to understand that, uh, that our soul, that the well-being of our soul need to be top priority. The well-being of our soul needs to be a priority. Well, what do you mean? Well, the Bible lets us know that Philip sees this Ethiopian, this black man, this African man. And if you read along, you'll discover that this is no ordinary black man. This is no ordinary African. This brother is a, he's the treasurer. He's over all the money, all the wealth in one of the wealthiest empires of that day in Ethiopia. He's connected to Queen Kandika. He's connected to people in high power. He has possession and he has position. But even with the possession and the position, he knows that all of this can't cover my soul. So he makes his way to Jerusalem to worship. He's reading the scriptures. He gets baptized. He receives Jesus because he understands that with all the possessions that I have and with all the position that I have and with all the people that I know, none of this can cover my soul. I need something within me that can cover me, that can cover my soul, the well-being of my soul. because. Because what the culture needs to know, that, that, uh, that black excellence is more than how much money you make, what car you drive, what degree you have, what brunch you were invited to, that, that, that black excellence needs to be, has, has a way of intruding in our soul to ensure that our soul is covered. And every now and again, God would allow some situation to go down in your life to see, I know your pockets are full, but your heart is empty. I know you're driving a nice car, but ask the question, is the Holy Spirit driving you? You got the possession, you got the position. But what is covering your soul? And I'm reminded of this, this week. I was shot and mourning, grieving. And I ain't even met Kobe Bryant. Never met Gigi. Never met anybody else when that helicopter crashed. And all of us understood the impact that that meant. The shock. This man died in a helicopter crash, 41 years old. Eight other people. And we mourned, we grieved, we cried. It shows us that, that you, you don't even have to know somebody for somebody to have an impact on your life. This helicopter crash, they said it was the fall. They said that this helicopter was flying too low to the ground. 
wait a minute, it's foggy, it's a bad environment, it's bad elements, and you driving too low? Maybe that's why many of our relationships crash, our friendships crash. Maybe that's why many of our careers crash, because in the elements of the things that we go through, because of the storm, we driving too low, living too low, flying too low. And, and, and as we reflect on the life of Kobe Bryant, we see all the accomplishments he was able to obtain. We see the championships, the MVPs, the rings, the gold medals, all the money, the businesses, all the accolades. But on Sunday morning last week, the only thing he was able to take was his soul. His rings were left behind. His gold medals were left behind. His money is still in the account. The only thing that left this earth was his soul. And all of us praying that the well-being of his soul was secured. And I want to suggest unto you, I want to let you know that the only way for you to ensure that your soul is secured is if you put it in the hands of Jesus Christ. That when you believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then you know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Ask your neighbor, is your soul right? Well, do it for the culture. You need to get your soul right. What's the message for the culture? Get your soul right. Here's another message. Read the scriptures. I know it's simple. But, but, but I'm a part of a generation that, that we don't even read. We read the headlines, but don't read the news article. Read the scriptures. The Bible says that this man was leaving worship and was still reading the scriptures. He was in a, he was in a chauffeur-driven chariot in the back reading Isaiah because he understood that there's power when I open up a book. I know, I, I know, we live in a time we don't like reading books no more. Matter of fact, there was a saying that said, if you want to hide something from a black man, put it in a book. Matter of fact, there was a time we are descendants of people who were being lynched and hung and killed when they were caught reading a book. Matter of fact, uh, there was a man by the name of Richard Allen who got kicked out of the white Methodist church and started the African-American Methodist Episcopal Church. And, in the, and with the AMEs, he was trying to figure out, how can I teach my people how to read without the risk of them being killed? So Pastor Murdoch, he started Sunday school. And in Sunday school, he was teaching black folks how to read by giving them the Word of God. And when black folks begin to read the Bible, they begin to understand that what the white slave master was giving me was all a lie. They wasn't giving me the full story. They were giving us what they called the slave Bible, where they would eliminate stories like Moses delivering the slaves out of Egypt. And so when our ancestors begin to read, they begin to understand that God has a way of freeing his people even in bad times. I dare you to open up the Bible and begin to read what thus saith the Lord. No wonder why you don't know the promises of God. No wonder why you don't know that what God is doing in your life is to set you up for a comeback and not bring you down. Because you ain't opening up the word of God. 
Matter of fact, we, for many of us, we, we shallow when it comes to reading God's word. So we'll read a verse a day. That means that's seven verses in a week. And we, we read seven verses in a week, but we'll read hundreds of tweets every week. Okay, y'all ain't saying amen. We'll see hundreds of Instagram posts every week. Wondering why we're walking in depression and anxiety and fear. But before we can make changes in our life, before we can make changes in the culture, before we can make changes in our world, we need to realize how powerful the Word of God is. That there's power in the Word of God. Well, Pastor Jay, I don't understand what I'm reading. Well, well when you read the story, you'll discover that the black man has some questions too. But despite of the questions he had, he still kept reading. Get you a translation, you'll understand. Well, where do I start? Start with John. Learn about the miracles of Jesus. Start with Ephesians and go look at the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Start in the Old Testament and see how God was able to take the children of Israel out of bondage into the promised land. Just start somewhere. Just read a version you can understand because there's power in God's word. And I want to challenge you this week to take your Take your verse a day and turn it into a chapter, a chapter a day. Take your verse a day and turn it into 10, 15 minutes a day. And, 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 and watch how God's word is able to change your mindset, your attitude, your heart, your situation. It's all in the word. Y'all, I'm in school now, and I'm struggling. I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm trying to figure out this balance uh, between school, ministry, family. And so there was a paper that we had to write, 20, 25 pages. And I'm writing this paper. I'm six pages in, and so I had to call Dr. Frank Thomas. He's my professor. I said, Dr. Thomas, is it appropriate for me to send my paper in advance for you to see where I'm going with it? Is it okay? He says, cool, send it to me. I sent it to him on a Thursday. He sends it back on a Friday. Friday morning. And uh, I said, well, thank you for your immediate response. And uh, thank you for the feedback. He says, oh, this is a great start. He said, you, 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 you're doing real good. And then he gave me some questions and some thoughts that I need to answer in the paper to make my paper even stronger. And so I'm looking at his email on my phone and I'm looking at the edits that he put on my paper on my phone and there was a notification on my phone that popped up. It says that before you can make edits to the file, you need to download Word. Because the phone evidently knew that I'm, I'm not just reading it just to read it, I'm reading it to make some changes. I'm reading it to edit it, I'm reading it to make it better, to make it stronger, to improve it. And so my phone sent a notification and said, if you want to make some changes, if you want to make some improvements, if you want to make this thing better, download the word. And God told me to tell you in your relationships, in your friendships, how you manage money, how you live your life, I dare you to download the word of God into your heart. And how many of you know the word makes it all better? If you don't do it for any other reason, do it for the culture. 
Wait a minute. Do it for the culture? Yeah. Not only do you need to read the scriptures, but tell somebody, get you a pastor. Get you a pastor. Get you an expert in the scriptures. Get you an expert in the one who can interpret, who can interpret the scriptures for you. That can guide you in the scriptures. The Bible says that this Ethiopian man was reading the scriptures, came across Pastor Philip, and asked Pastor Philip, what is this scripture talking about? And the pastor was able to walk him through the scriptures and point him to Jesus. And he was able to receive Jesus in his life because he had a pastor. Uh, uh, there, there's this British theologian, Nathan Lash, that says that, that interpreting the scripture uh, is similar to, to a performance. He says that the power of the word is not just in the black and white ink. It's in the action of the script. He says, so believers, when we talk about there's power in the word of God, it's not just when we read it, but it is when we perform it like an actor does a script, like a musician does some sheet of paper, a sheet of music. It's the, it's the interpretation, it's in the performance. And the only way for you to accurately perform the script is when you get an expert that can help you interpret the script. Like a director, like a, like a music director, like a film director. We need some experts that can show us the importance and how to interpret the script that we read so we can live it out. And y'all, that's what pastors does. The Bible says that God has given us pastors after God's own heart. You want to know how, how you can tell you need a pastor? Is when you can name off your top five rappers and can't give me top five preachers. Is when you can give me your top ten athletes but can't give me six of the twelve disciples. Tell somebody you need a pastor. You need somebody that can help you through the scripture. And the Bible says that Philip had a pastor. And when Pastor Philip pointed him to Jesus, the Bible says that this man got baptized, filled with Jesus. And then the Bible says this, that Philip disappeared and the black African man went on shouting. I love that. The pastor disappeared. The man went on shouting, which causes me to ask you, what do you do in the absence of your pastor? What do you do when church is over? Where, where, you ain't got to answer this, but where you about to go watch the Super Bowl today? What you going to be drinking on? What you going to be smoking? What you going to do in the absence of your pastor? Here, here, here is a man that understood that even though my pastor is absent, God is still present. And the Bible says that this man went on shouting. Matter of fact, that's how you know he was a black man. Because he went on shouting. <laughs> here is a man... Here is a man, here it is, and, and we're done. Here is a man that practiced both intellect and emotion. Intellect. He thought, through, he thought through the scripture with the pastor, asking the pastor's questions, reading through the scripture, thinking through the scripture with the pastor. That's the intellect. But then the Bible says he went on shouting. That's the emotion. Because our faith should challenge us to think and evoke some praise out of our mouths. 
He understood that this ain't a blind faith, so I'm asking questions. What does this text mean? How do I apply it to my life? Where is Jesus in this text? He's thinking through the text. And when he found Jesus, the Bible says he went on shouting. Because the church needs to have a healthy balance of both thinking and shouting. Uh, I, I told y'all I'm done, but, but, but Henry Mitchell writes a book entitled Black Church Beginnings, and he argues with people who say that slavery destroyed the African religious heritage. People say that, that after our ancestors were sold into slavery and brought over on the Middle Passage and, and, and disconnected from their families and all that, it killed the African religious heritage. It was lost. It was destroyed. But, but, but Henry Mitchell argues, and many other argue, that our African heritage religion wasn't lost. It was transported and evolved into what the black church is today. He says it survived slavery. It survived the Middle Passage. It survived the deconstruction of our humanity. And now we can see expressions of it today. And he says, it's not just in our theology of who we believe God is, but it is also in our worship, in the expression of our worship. He says, in Africa before slavery, the Africans always believed that God was all-powerful, that God was all-knowing, that God was all-present. They always believed that God was a God of justice. And then he says, it's not just in what we believe about God, but it's also in how we express our feelings about who God is in our life. He said, before slavery, black folk had always been shouting. Black, black folk has always had some so always improvised in their music, always had drumming. We always had a call and response, even before slavery. And Henry Mitchell argues that despite of all that we went through, we are still a people that can think and shout about the goodness of Jesus. And I can testify that the more you think, the more you begin to shout. Matter of fact, the more you shout, evidently you've been doing a lot of thinking. Matter of fact, there are some days where I need to thing. I need to go in the scriptures, dig deep, and find the promises of God. I need to think, because let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus Christ. And the more I think, the more I begin to praise God, because when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul shouts out, hallelujah. Oh, y'all must be doing some thinking. Think about how he delivered you. Think about how he healed you. Think about how he made a way. Think about how he was a God of his promises. Somebody in the room ought to shout because you've been thinking about how good God is. Tell somebody, do it for the culture. Praise God for the culture. Read for the culture. Get you a pastor for the culture. Get your soul covered. Is there anybody in the room that can testify that despite how bad things are, I still serve a good God? Let us all stand in this place.